right, welcome in to another Pack in Heat. Brooks Clark, Alex Crawford with you as always. And now another special guest, back-to-back weeks uh, with guests, Dusty Hera, my former colleague at 1080 The Fan, host of the morning show there, Dusty and Cam on 1080 The Fan in Portland, Oregon. Dusty, thanks for joining us a post-show this morning. No, thank you guys. I'm pumped uh, to pack a little heat. But before we get going, I really need to uh, congratulate Brooks. I saw you made a big life advancement. Buying a couch is is no small feat. Congrats on buying a new couch, dude. Yeah, it was uh, last night. We, My old roommate had a dog. And uh, after a while, the dog kind of like just made a small hole in one part of the couch and then just progressively holes, you know, tend to get <laughs> bigger. So I was just like, you know, had had a couple glasses of uh, of some whiskey and was talking with my other roommate. It was like, you know what? Let's just, fuck it. Let's just get a couch. So I got a nice uh, Cyber Monday deal on like a nice leather couch that should be here in a couple weeks. So I'm excited. Thank you, thank you for recognizing that, Dusty. You're welcome. That is what, what, um. What, what kind of couch? Anything, anything, any cool patterns? Uh, no, it's like a nice uh, cream coffee leather, uh, faux leather. Oh, okay. All right. Nice. Little 68-inch 60, love seat. So, uh, Hey, bold choice. Like the color. Uh, it'll be good while you're single, but uh, you're going to spill on it. There'll be nacho stains in no time at all. No, we, we kind of have a little – you've never been to my apartment, uh, Dusty, but I think, Croft, you have, and you we have a little bit of like a – bachelor pad masculine vibe with like some dark wood tones and uh anyway. that's the thing i thought when i came to your apartment was like <laughs> in here disregard the uh the kids animation funko pop that we have <laughs> but uh anyway I like it. I like it. Uh, okay okay we can talk yeah we'll, we'll keep we'll keep the couch talk rolling along but um i guess the first thing i wanted to talk about and I'm sure we all share this sentiment. I don't even think I texted. I didn't text you about it, Dusty and Brooks. I don't even think we talked about it. Like Wazoo, I tweeted out on Saturday night. I'm I'm depressed for Wazoo. That was that was such a letdown. Were you were you guys bummed on that? Because for me, I was putting all my chips on the table. Like let's go Cougs. This is the Pac-12's outside shot at the college football playoff. They're legit. Let's do this. And now I'm just like, damn it. Yeah, I, I was. I tweeted. I just. I was. I was so bummed too. It was sad. I had. I was sick with Minshew mania. Sick with uh, pull mania. Just. I was all about the Cougs this year. Mike Leach has been on a just a hilarious tangent. Just like going viral, saying something funny every other week. It seems, and uh, it just for it to go out like that. You know, we were we kept saying the Cougs are going to cook it, and uh, boy, did they. You know, I'm right there with you. I was, I'm a big fan of shitty facial hair, and that's why I'm such a big fan of Crawford's facial hair. And Minshew got me, man. That stash was terrible at the beginning of the year. It's grown into a beautiful caterpillar. And I thought the the entire Cougs team basically grew into that. And it kind of like fed off of the aura of his stash. And it was awesome run. I just still can't help but think how bad Washington State got screwed against USC. Because that game goes differently, the USC game. And we don't know if they make that field goal or what happens in overtime or whatever. But if they don't get screwed like that in the Pac-12, the conference itself doesn't screw them. 
they, we, that apple cup looks completely different because then we'd be looking at a Washington State team with one loss in a rivalry game in the snow. You could justify it. How bad would their side have been in the college football playoff rankings? We don't know after just one loss. But then they would have had a chance still to redeem themselves in the in the uh, Pac-12 championship game against Utah. So I was a little upset just based on the fact that it wasn't just the loss to Washington, but the USC one still lingered too. Yeah, we um, we actually did a pretty deep dive on that last week, Dusty. We had Alex Rios, formerly uh, director of recruiting for USC, on who you know as well, and just talked about how the you know that the Pac-12 needs to eliminate the Friday night game because it just seems to screw teams over time and time again. It screwed SC over uh, when they had Sam Darnold a couple of years ago, then it screwed Wazoo over this year, and so it's just we've been beating the fire Larry Scott drum, and now with this loss in the Apple Cup. It's just like, dude, this sucks, man. We don't have a shot of the college football playoff. And our best team, you know, they just lost in a rivalry game, which, you know, UW, credit to them, though. They have, and I'm sure your co-host Cam Cleland was gloating because you guys are Portland's home of the Cougars. But credit to UW for just completely having Mike Leach's number. They do, and and they pounded them. They they pounded them with the run game. They have a formula to beat Washington State. And Jimmy Lake, after the game, the defensive coordinator at Washington was like, Mike Leach is kind of easy to game plan for. He was like, we know exactly what he's going to do all the time. So he's like, I hope he stays around for a long time because they have a formula to beat him. Big physical on the outside, defensive linemen only need three guys to create pressure and then eight dropping back. And it wreaks havoc on Washington state. And then they just run the ball on them. But then how come, how come Washington, Washington seems to be the only team that can figure that out on a consistent basis. Like why does everybody else struggle? Is it just because they're not equipped? I know Chris Peterson recruits so damn well up there, but he just gets the right guys. I, I mean, I think so. I look at the, how many guys have they sent to the NFL? Like every year we go, okay, Washington's going to take a step back. How do you lose, you know, three guys to the NFL draft in the first two rounds? How do you replace, you know, three more guys? Gone? Now they have like four guys in the secondary that are going to play on Sunday. And that's incredible. I, that's not just for the Pac-12, but for anywhere in college football. That's like Ohio State and not Bama because it's like all 11 go in the first round. But like they've got depth numbers and sending dudes to the league. That's pretty impressive. And I think that's the big advantage they have. But uh, I mean, I don't know. Cal Cal did it to Wazoo too offensively, and they're not nearly as good. So maybe they just kind of ripped off a little of that formula. They they maybe I one thing I noticed that last year the game that Wazoo like pooched was when they just got absolutely smoked by Cal. And that game was played at Cal when there were all those wildfires going on up there and the air quality wasn't was pretty bad and you know that might inhibit some of the passing game somehow and then uh then the snow happened in, in the apple cup like I, I don't know is the air raid's biggest enemy just weather not blue skies mm, nature i like that interesting is theory. nature undefeated against the air raid Dalton, my column I, it's hard to argue <laughs> um well besides that game which i seriously bummed me out not only because I bet I was at the Laughlin, Nevada, um, Aquarius Casino Sportsbook, taking in most of the games on Friday. Um, so I was betting some money, and uh, and I was losing some money because of other games. Not to, Washington State was my was my second lock of the week, but my number one lock of the week was Notre Dame USC, uh, which was a eleven point spread, and SC actually kept it close, which blew my mind. Um, good, good for them. And then they, and we can talk, well, let's talk about the Clay Helton stuff in a minute. Um, but, but I was impressed a little bit by SC showing something against, uh, the, the fighting Irish. 
was it? I don't know. I, I watched the game at a at an S at a at what's supposed to be a USC bar. There was maybe thirty people in there, uh, and there were half of which were Notre Dame fans, which, from what I heard, was the equivalent to the attendance margin at the Coliseum, about a 50-50 split. But uh, from what I, I mean, was it SC playing well, or was Notre Dame just like panicking and trying to see if they can blow their shot at the playoff before, you know, in the last game of the season? Trying to cook it. Yeah, Notre Dame's tried yeah. that several times to kind of blow their opportunity. I don't know. It, it One thing that Brian Kelly said after the game I thought was interesting and is like Notre Dame has got to travel a lot. And they bounce like all over the country in some of their games. And I think just going to LA, it's tough to go there in, in play in Los Angeles, especially when you have dudes that are from California. It's their only time they're going to be able to play in front of their home crowd. And you'd think that that'd be like inspired effort, but it seems like Notre Dame always does that where they kind of look lethargic out of the gate. So I, I, that's like the bajillion dollar question with Notre Dame is when they play bad, is it because the other team's playing good and you're getting their other team's best shot, or is it them just kind of stubbing their toe? And it's hard to put your finger on. Yeah, I was. I mean, watching that game, beside Notre Dame scored on a couple of big plays and just start to finish, at least on defense. I was like, this this is SC's game. SC's kind of you know shutting down Notre Dame, and I agree with you guys too. I think I think we have all seen Notre Dame do this time and time again, where they want to throw. They Notre Dame kind of has their own version of cooging it there uh, in South Bend. Um, but I was like, I, w- I don't want to say impressed by any means because this was probably SC's. Well, this was SC's worst season since I think the last year of Paul Hackett in yeah. two thousand. Uh, but but SC actually looked like they were could have and, and perhaps should have won that game. But Notre Dame just blew by them on some big plays. Um, so that that game. Only bummed me out. Well, one, going into the weekend, Brooks, I know we were talking about, okay, Wazoo wins, the SC will beat Notre Dame, and kind of, you know, playing out these scenarios for, you know, the Pac-12 to sneak into the college football playoff. And then I was still hoping, I always want SC to beat Notre Dame, but I still bet on Notre Dame to cover the 11-point spread, um, which they didn't do, and SC didn't beat them. They just won by seven, so that game sucked for me. Um, And the other big game that sucked for me, obviously, was Friday, Oregon, I mean, just putting a beat down on Oregon State, uh, 55-15 the score in the in the Civil War, and uh, uh, yeah, that sucks. Isn't the worst part about that, if you're a Beaver fan, though, it's not the fact that like, okay, yeah, if Oregon beats you 55 to 15, you you probably sit back, and you go, all right, yeah, Justin Herbert had a good day. They're just more talented, but doesn't it suck knowing that the entire second half? Oregon State was going to run the football, and you knew, or Oregon was going to run the football. You knew that's all they were going to do. And you still couldn't stop it. That was like the most infuriating part, just watching that game going, they're going to run the ball and there's nothing Oregon State could do. Dude, yeah. I mean, when Braxton Burmeister went in for the second half and uh, Justin Herbert's on the sideline, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm texting my dad. We got some hope. We got some hope. I'm like, look at this, you know. Okay, what is it? It's it's 21 to three, but like if I'm feeling... I'm feeling like rivalry game momentum tides are turning. Okay. We know what they're doing. Let's stop it. And then that was, yeah, that was, I, I agreed, man. It's like, okay, Burmeister's in the game. Let's force them to throw. Let's just see if he can throw. And they didn't, that was not necessary. Uh, Oregon got whatever they wanted. And the beeves um, historically bad defense was just gashed. I'm, once I'm again. looking at the box score for the first time from this game. Oregon had two running backs with over 200 total yards. Dude. <laughs> The bees are giving up like, I think the bees are giving up like five hundred something yards Good per Lord. game. Hey, UConn is still worse defensively. There, you could be UConn. Just keep, 
hang your hat on that one. You What's up? With, I saw that. I was actually just trying to look up the stat. What you UConn is actually worse than Oregon State on defense. Yeah, and it, it really isn't even close. I don't think. I think that it's something like uh, they give up like six hundred yards per game or something absolutely egregious. Oh my god! Total defense. Connecticut, yeah, six hundred seventeen yards per game. Oregon State, right, right in front of them at one hundred twenty ninth at uh, five thirty six. Wow! So Oregon State is terrible, but UConn. <laughs> That's that's really really bad. Why don't they bad. do a bowl game for the two worst teams in college? The two worst teams in college football. Like I I would watch that. Would you not? Watch that? Oh wow! Here's my here's my four team playoff theory. So you take the four worst teams, uh, two from Power Five and then two from non Power Five, and you force them to in a playoff. So it'd be like Illinois, Oregon State, Connecticut, and San Jose State. And you go ahead and you just let them duel it out for um, the worst team in college football because you could have a consolation game where the losers actually play at 9 a.m. before the two winners of that crap game. Yeah, I'd love that. I mean, I mean and, and on it. the same, like, people love, like, kind of, like, a part of the charm of college football for me is just, like, how bad and, like, you know, the amateurism involved. Um but a game with just like two incompetent teams, like with two historically bad defenses like that, how 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 many points? Like that would be such a fun game. Like you know, Jamar Jackson or uh, sorry, Jamar Jefferson would probably you know let him run loose, get him on the national scale. But that could be yeah, fun. I'm looking at UConn here, and uh, and uh, I'm curious who wins, UConn or Oregon State. That's the game I want to see. I think the Beavs do because at least the Beavs won a. At least they won a conference game this year. Did UConn even do that? No, UConn's solo win was um, a nail biter over Rhode Island early in September. Oh, you throw the records out when the Rams come to town, though. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another. And yeah, I'll double down on Oregon State because at least Oregon State's in you know a good conference, not the uh, what? Well, UConn's in the American Athletic, the yeah. AAC. So yeah, I'm gonna take the Beavs over uh, AAC bottom dwellers. Connecticut. I think if I was a bookie in Vegas or Laughlin for that matter, I would set the line. I'd probably go Beavs minus six and a half, I think would be the no line. way, dude. Are you looking at some of these scores? Are you looking <laughs> at how bad they actually are? Because T- Temples Temples fifty seven seven beatdown. <laughs> yeah. That that is so gnarly to look at when you just uh, their defensive coordinator when at what point of the year do you think he got fired do you think it was like week four or do you think that they fired his replacement too or do you make him suffer i think uh dude i'm trying i'm trying to figure that out here just because i'm i hadn't really uh i haven't really done a deep dive into uh yukon uh UConn yeah, football. I, I, I couldn't name a yukon football player in the nfl currently um but I, I think it's kind of like the thing where you just, you know, when your dog dog poops in the carpet, like you make him look at it, like look at, like shame, like this is yours, like shame him. So maybe I, again, I don't know if they fired him or not, but maybe they just left him around and, uh, or or they gave it, you know, maybe it was like a student, you know, a student position. <laughs> Let me just a student position. <laughs> One last thing before we we can move on from UConn, but just uh, and then goes in as defensive coordinator after. Make sure you get checked. <laughs> I've got two things about UConn football before we continue on. One, the Huskies, UConn Huskies, 
allowed more points and more yards than any other team in FBS history. So the worst defense of all time. Uh, second, they did not fire their defensive coordinator at the end of the season. Coach Randy Edsel was asked whether he continues to believe in defensive coordinator Billy Crockle. Edsel said, yeah, but did not elaborate on Crocker's job. Does he still, does he believe him as like an honest person? Like, does he not tell a lie or he didn't, it wasn't a very specific question. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, Uh, see Oregon state hope. Oregon State, it could be worse. That's our that's that's we're hanging that banner. Um, looking looking around the rest of the Pac-12 from last weekend. Uh, I guess the other notable games that stood out to me were the Utes coming back to win the Holy War. Uh, which was awesome. Didn't we all think that they were dead? Like they were down like twenty eight fourteen or whatever it was. In like no way, no oh, yeah. way. That's that, I, yeah, I thought that Shelley and um, Shine. I thought it kind of finally faded away for them, and then they just both those guys went off and that Oregon loss and the way that all happened still sucks for Oregon fans, but it doesn't look as bad with the way that those two guys have played um, in the week since that Oregon game. Cause they're pretty dang good. They, uh, yeah, I like, I don't know. I think around week seven or whatever it was, I've been priding myself. I, I called the Utes getting hot at the right time, but then when uh, they lost their quarterback and their running back for the season, I'm like, well, they're, they're done. But I don't know if it's a testament to Kyle Whittingham or the recruiting or just maybe they just are all good players. Like, I don't know. Utah looked like a very solid football team. And frankly, if are they gonna beat are they gonna beat Washington on Friday? I'm not ruling it out. They play good defense. Question is Kyle Whittingham the best coach in college football? Dude, I'm 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 impressed because Utah, like just to echo what you said, Brooks, when they lost, you know, Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, I was like, okay, you know, the Utes, they were fun. They were rolling, but there's no way they can keep this going. And not only have they, but like they've had some impressive wins. They've blown some teams out. They've beaten good teams. And just the cherry on top going into the Pac-12 championship game was being down at home. That is a situation, Dusty, where you're like, okay, put a fork in them. They're they're done. You know, they're, they've locked up the Pac-12 championship game. Um, they've got really nothing to play for. BYU's like 27-year-old dudes back from their mission trips, manhandling them there in Salt Lake City. And then they rip off, you know, they, they score, uh, I think, well, yeah, 35 points all in the second half to, to beat BYU in the Holy War. That was incredible. And uh, and I love the Utes, Brooks. I know you texted me too. You said, you know, give me the Utes. Give me Utah football over any, like, uh, middle-of-the-road Big Ten, Big 12 SEC matchup. Dude, the Utes are a damn good football team. I, I, and I think back to your point, Dusty, I, that's a great question. Is Kyle Whittingham the best coach? I mean, I don't know if you could fully argue that because, you, you know, you got guys like Saban who has created an empire and, you know, there's a lot of really good coaches out there. But for what Kyle Whittingham can do at a, you know, now he, he's brought Utah up from where they were in the, I, I don't know, just the, they were in the Mountain West, just a, wherever, and then brought them up to relevancy to enough to be sucked into a Power Five conference. And and to uh, now they're seemingly haven't missed a beat. They're still winning seven, eight, nine, ten games a season. That's that's damn impressive, especially at a school that doesn't, you know, Utah doesn't have the sex appeal as SC or a you know a big a big time school. And the only the only reason why I say Dude, that about yeah. Whittingham is because like Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Dabo Swinney, uh, obviously those guys are great coaches, but they recruit 
like top 10 classes every single year. And if you're outside of the top five, it's considered a bad recruiting class. What Utah does and why I say he's best coach is that the last five years, their recruiting rankings are 42nd overall nationally when you average them out. And this is that consistently wins, like you say. I I think that it, it can be said like, man, he does it with less talent and still competes, albeit not in the SEC or the Big Ten or ACC or wherever, but he does it in a Power Five conference where they were the only bull win last year for the Pac-12. No, and I would and I would double down on Utah. Right. I would take them over a lot of these SEC or Big Ten teams that are ranked higher than them throughout the season. Like I would take Utah over a Mississippi State, or I would take U- I think Utah Texas A and M would be a really good game, and I think Utah would win that game. I think Utah just gets disrespected because. Well, we, you know, we don't need to harp on the Pac-12 disrespect, but we all know about it here living on the West Coast. But besides that, just within the conference itself, Utah is the most disrespected team probably in the most disrespected conference. They're Utah. People still don't, you know, people still don't know anything about them. And so I I agree. Uh, Kyle Whittingham does more with less, I think, than anybody in the nation. I I think that's a really good point, Dusty. Yeah, they're like in that Utah is in that Wisconsin and Iowa type conversation where you go there's the guys that they bring in they shouldn't be this good but they are you know yeah I, I think to, I, Utah would definitely I think Utah would beat Florida easily yeah I, I they're disrespected on a on a yearly basis I think I'm trying to remember what I was saying when I was on my full Utah by tangent but uh, people yeah. think of them just oh like little Utah you know like kind of they still think of them as a non-power five team. But but they are, and Kyle Whittingham is the biggest reason behind that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they've they've replaced Oregon State as that. Oregon State or Mike Riley was always that team. Um, you know, like wow, look at this guy's really doing a lot with nothing, and now it's now Utah's like, dude, they're they're really doing a lot with nothing there in in Salt Lake City. I, I uh, we can talk mm-hmm. about the Pac-12 championship game in a minute, but I've been impressed with them. Uh, and then the last thing from the weekend. Dusty, we on the show here have something we like to call the Hermometer. That's where we kind of check in on the uh, the Herm Edwards hype because at the start Dude, of the year, you know, awesome. I don't know about you guys, but was- but we were hyped on Herm. Um, but at the okay, let me take it back. Before the season started, we were like, no way in hell Herm is successful. This was an embarrassing hire. Then we were like, oh my god, the Hermometer's hot. Then it dipped. And now it's going out of the season seven and five. Who saw that coming from Herm Edwards first year? So, yeah, you head into the year and it, Herm Edwards and all, as I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I was, thought it was a joke at the beginning of the year. And you go, all right, so Arizona State fan, are you going to take the Sun Devils beating Michigan State, uh, Arizona, UCLA, Utah, and USC? You win all of those games. I think they would be through the roof at, with Herm Edwards and the job he did there. It took a while to get going, but he's done an awesome job there. And, you know, I guess his, what what did he say at the Pac-12 media days? He said something like, uh, coaching's coaching and football's football. He kept saying that over and over and people were like, God, what are you talking about? Winning, turn, he's right. Won four of his last five games, beat SC, beat Utah, beat UCLA. Only loss was to Oregon, at Oregon. And they lost by, that game was nuts. No, dude. Every every uh, 
every soundbite he had heading into the season, it was just like, oh my God, this is the train wreck. I remember we were talking about it from when I was working with you and Cam at 1080 The Fan. We were like, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fodder. And then the season started and the Herm soundbites disappeared. Arizona State quietly had a very good season. And I think he really won over a lot of fans and and hmm. recruiting, I think he did himself a lot of favors, especially winning the Territorial Cup. But I think he really helped that, with that the Arizona State, you know, now. getting people that 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 seemed to me like I think a yeah. reason Todd Graham was fired is just people just didn't believe in him. And I think Herm's got everybody uh, in the Sun Devil community fired up. Uh, how about just looking at their season right now, Arizona State went four and one in the Pac-12 yeah. South. Damn, their only loss was to Colorado in the South. So that's that's, that's impressive. Oh, Colorado, man. But, but uh, excited to see, you know, we can, I don't know if we can start, maybe we can maybe do a later end of season recap, but, you know, Nikhil Harry declared to go to the draft uh, yesterday. So, you know, obviously their biggest playmaker, but excited to see the trend that the Sun Devils are, are going the way they're headed right now. Well, and won't that be the big measuring stick of Herm Edwards and his success there? Is like, yeah, he he did it with Todd Graham's guys. And Todd Graham, he got fired because they were like, you should do more with the talent that you have because Todd Graham was going seven and five and he had Keel Harry and um, Manny Wilkins as his quarterback. What will it be when those guys are gone is going to be the the big question mark with Herm because they sucked in recruiting last year. But I think a big part of their when the, when they hired him, they were like, "Oh, here's a guy. He's a stable. He's going to run it like a CEO of a company type thing." So I'm curious to see how, yeah, what that recruit, what kind of recruits that 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 appeals to. Yeah, because if Kill Harry goes in the like, you know? top ten, you know, that's a lot of you know that goes a long way with recruits and just being like, "Hey, we can get you there." Um. So moving on from last weekend, or I guess, you know, transitioning something that I think the big story out of the Pac-12 besides Wazoo losing and depressing all of us is Lynn Swan and USC's announcement that, you know, Clay Helton's going to be back uh, after going five and seven as the USC's head coach. What was your guys' gut reaction when you heard that news? Uh, (laughs) Disappointment. Uh, Didn't really do a lot for me. Uh, I don't know. I, you had so much expectation as you know, I've, I've, I've been championing. I'm, I've been, I'm the resident USC fan on the podcast and it just, it, it's, it's disappointing. I, I didn't even really want to watch the Notre Dame game. I had an opportunity to go to the Notre Dame game and I, and I, I didn't, I did not want to go to the Coliseum to watch that football game. I don't know if that makes me a bad fan or whatever, but it just, you know, it wasn't the beatdown that we all expected, but it's just the disappointment of from this season. I've, I think I said a couple times how you know the Pac-12 South is USC's until further notice, and that notice has been served. And SC is trending in the wrong direction. And what Clay Helton has shown he what he can and cannot do with and without Sam Darnold, it just is disappointing. And the fact that Lynn Swan has backed him entirely. Is Lynn Swan got to go? Like, I don't know. <laughs> that seems to be the only way that Clay Helton would not return next year. Legit question about Lynn Swan. And like watching this year, didn't we think like, oh, okay, you lose to Stanford early. Okay. 
You lose to Texas. Wow, man, they probably should have won that one. But then as the year went on, you're like, okay, the nail in the coffin should have been the Arizona State game. And people are like, all right, he's gone. But then they lose mm-hmm. to Cal, and then you lose to UCLA, and you're just like, okay, that is finally it for Clay. He cannot go any longer because those two teams looked like a wreck at the time that they played them. And look, Cal played really well. They won. They beat them. I mean, straight up beat them. And you go, all right, UCLA, horrible this year under Chip Kelly. And they couldn't play a lick of defense. You lose that game. I was shocked when I saw that Clay Helton was coming back. And I was even more shocked at the level of support that Lynn Swan gave him because it was like he, Lynn Swan's statement made it sound like it wasn't a hard choice for him. Like, yeah, this is going to be the guy. And he's going to be our guy moving forward. And we have faith in him. I mean, drop, dropping five of their last six games, their only win coming against the Beavs, that just doesn't. That's that's not good. I mean, put that put that coach put any coach in that situation, and that seat should feel piping hot. And I don't know if it was because there just wasn't the right person out there to fill the position. Like I've I've been saying early all all season long, don't fire a coach just for the sake of firing a coach. But this is now there's clearly cause to fire. Like look. You and I don't know. There's like I've been saying I can say, oh, I didn't go to the game. It's like what's what's me? I'm just a 27 year old kid that you know would buy a ticket online. There are a lot more alumni that have a lot more money than me and are a lot more powerful than me that have the same sentiment as me, and their negativity towards the program, their lack of attendance, their not renewing season tickets, going to games, donating money to the program that's going to start feeling a lot more pressure. Uh, It's just more impactful that I'm trying to figure out how I want to articulate this, but basically what I'm trying to say is more important people have the same sentiment that they want Clay gone. And the fact that the administration seemed to just rebuke their, you know, their, I don't want to say threats, but you know, Hey, I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. If this is going to be the new norm, that's, that should be something that should be heavily reviewed by, you know, the board of regents and directors at complacency the is like, it's just setting in down there. And I, I wonder as a USC fan, are you feeling like, so they have that $215 million settlement because of the, like, the university doctor there's that. And then as yeah. we look now, like if you're going to pull a big name coach out of a program, Jimbo Fisher's the bar. I mean, it's like $75 million over 10 years. So you have to pay out that $215 million. Then you'd have to pay a new coach upwards of $75 million to come to SC. I'm wondering if they like did their legwork and they're like, oh, crap, we don't have enough money to do it because the Pac-12 is not giving us what we were promised as far as revenue goes. We can't afford it. I mean, on top of all that, they're renovating. The, they're in the midst of a Coliseum renovation that costs, you know, the figure off the top of my head, I don't know, but that. But it's nice to know that Larry Scott is the highest paid conference commissioner out of the Power Five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we can beat that drum again no but I, I i agree with you dusty i think that and rios kind of echoed this a little bit last week but the school doesn't have a president right now they're in that huge lawsuit i don't think i don't know if the you know the interim president basically the turmoil behind the scenes that's not related to the athletic department i think may be playing a bigger factor in this year's decision Just- uh, than than we know and i also think that um I think that 
I don't want to say Lynn Swan's hands are tied, but but also like you said, Brooks, you know, you don't want to fire a coach just to fire him. You need to have a good replacement. Maybe the replacement's not there. I think it's a combination of the replacement not being there, the money not being there. They're asking the boosters to pay for this renovation of the Coliseum. That's not done. They're asking them for more money to finish it. And then they're going to ask them for more money, uh, you know, to pay for a new coach, which according to, you know, what we've seen on ESPN LA and, and reports from the LA Times stuff is the boosters uh, really, really are pissed about this move. Uh, but I think it's a lot of behind the scenes turmoil within the university that's led to them having to, I guess, quote unquote, be complacent. I'm also laughing a little bit because uh, I know the Trojans went five and seven. It's their worst year since um, the year 2000. But but overall, Clay Helton has a good record. And overall, you know, he, he is a good coach. That's uh, he just had a bad year. So it's it's really from from a perspective of a fan who's not a USC fan. It's fun to see the torches and the pitchforks coming out for Clay Helton after a bad year, but overall, you know, a coach with a good record and people are ready to burn him at the stake there in, in LA. That, that's just the level of winning that's, you know, expected out of USC. Yeah. A good coach shouldn't be good enough there. Like it should, they should expect greatness. I mean, we see like Auburn right now is willing to pay $107 million to get rid of Gus Malzahn, $32 million in the buyout. And then knowing that it's going to take that Jimbo Fisher money just to get rid of Gus Malzahn. Like that's what USC fans expect is that level of, of support by the administration. They don't have it. And you can say the same about Michigan. One of the names that was potentially tossed around as a replacement for Clay Helton was Jim Harbaugh, who he has resurrected that Michigan program, but there are a lot of people there that want him out as well. And he's a good football coach, but you reach a point where the level of winning is so important and so expected that it's just, it's that or bust. I mean, I pulled up this quote here from uh, Arash Markazi, who's a phenomenal reporter. Uh, he's he's been leading the torch and pitchfork brigade. He he has been so up in arms about the Clay Helton thing. But go go on, yeah, Brooks. He, he, this is a quote he said from uh, ESPN Radio. There are so many or ESPN LA. There are so many boosters that I have talked to that have personally contacted the athletic department, Lynn Swan, and said, "I don't know how much it's going to take to make this move, but give me the figure." They are so done with Clay Helton. Yeah, no, I believe it, but I I just think that it's. It's just it's it's all these outside factors, man. It's it's the lack of a president. It's this huge lawsuit. There there is uh there's administrative issues at USC right now, and Lynn Swan's like, okay, you know, uh, we're gonna have to put a stopgap in here for a minute. We're not gonna fire Clay Helton, and and I would not be shocked in the slightest if SC uh, had a good year next year. Not 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 a great year, but a good year. I, I mean, Clay Helton is a good coach. He he was undefeated in the Coliseum until this season. I'm not I'm not defending him because I think long term he's not the solution. I think his job was to you know help the transition from the sanctions era to the turmoil of Kiffin and Sarkeesian. Like he's done his job for the program. Uh, I just don't think I just I am getting a kick out of watching watching the USC fan base uh, uh, hand wringing over this. Well, they should stack the deck in his favor if they're going to back him for another year. I've I want this more than anything. I want them to hire my boy Cliff Kingsbury as the offensive coordinator for next year. He's who's recently, oh, recently just, whip it just whip it around the field. That'd be interesting to see though with that level of talent. Have we like the closest thing we've come to an air raid with elite talent is Oklahoma and look what they're doing, man. Elite talent and the 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 mind of cliff kingsbury that'd be awesome to see 
And, and it's less of an – he kind of was more air raid when he was head coach at Texas Tech. But when he was at A&M with Johnny Football, you know, JT Daniel thinks he can be like Johnny Football and let him, let him run free. Let him, you know, be who he wants to be. And Cliff is a brilliant – clearly he wasn't – didn't quite have the, the snuff to be a full-time – a head coach at a big program. But, man, is he more than qualified to be a brilliant offensive coordinator. So yeah, and he's got he's he's got the swag, he's got the LA look. I think he'd be a phenomenal fit. He's a hot dude. Yeah, very handsome. I, I tweeted out a picture of him yesterday just for the sake of tweeting out a picture of him. Um but yeah, I, I get get that swag. You know, he's a young dude. That's the kind of coach that I think would is necessary for a college program. Like the Sean I, we kind of call it like the Sean McVay effect, you know, a young you know, energetic guy that just like how Pete Carroll was when he first came, just let's, I don't know, let's make, make USC football sexy again. That would be the most fitting Clay Helton then though, is if like he ran off, he was run off by a coordinator that he brings in because of like what happened with Sark and you know, the rumors that it could have been Clay Helton yeah. that was throwing, releasing all the stuff behind it. And then they bring in a court, he's forced to bring in a coordinator who runs him off and takes his job. Uh, you know what I do love though, just to put a bow on this whole, uh, Pete or not, sorry, not to put a bow on this USC thing is, uh, as I said before, you brought him up, Brooks, Arash Markazi from ESPN LA talking about, you know, Clay Helton, first coach to return to USC after a losing season, blah, blah, blah. Ends his tweet with, for what it's worth, Pete Carroll's contract is up in 2019. No. USC new president by then as well. No. <laughs> That's all you need is a 70-year-old. <laughs> UNC just hired Mac Brown this morning. Like, okay, great. So they're going to – no, yeah, no. That's, we, we, we don't look – we don't step backwards to move forward. <laughs> yeah, and the, I, I think the Dems are going to bring out Bernie Sanders to run in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, – yeah, I, I, I love – that's like that's what I'm saying is I'm sitting back here and I'm watching this turmoil at SC, which I'm getting a kick out of because you're seeing like, we got to bring Pete Carroll back, man. It's like, guys, 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 let's pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. I love that. Um, okay, well, you know, this is the part of the show where we do our picks against the spread for the coming weekend. And uh, we have it pretty easy this week. We just have two games Friday uh, up in beautiful Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Uh, number 17, Utah, taking on number 16, Washington. For the Pac-12 championship, the Huskies are five-point favorites. I forgot about that second game. That was surprising. Yeah, Stanford Cal. But um, five points for the Huskies. You know, yeah. I first of all, I think both of these teams, we'll find out later this evening, I, I think they'll both be top 14 coming into this game, which I think is some respect from the playoff committee. I don't know if Washington – you think Washington will be ranked ahead yes. of Washington State? With the way that they won. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I got to let's, – let's go with the Utes. Five points. Bro, you've been hitting on the Utes all year. I, I, and they haven't really proved me wrong, except the game that they're starting mm. quarterback and running back This one's hurt. tough because we already saw this one earlier in the year, right? And 21-7, but it looks like it's a total Kyle Whittingham coaching job where they turned the season around completely – I'm gonna. I like. I like Utah in the five, but I like Washington to win. Right? What's the over under set at right now? Is it something like five? Uh, 
Let me find that really quick here. I don't have that right in front of me, but uh, one second. This game is tough for me. Like you said, we we saw this earlier in the year with 21-7, and then Utah on paper got worse by losing their two two of their best players, yet is doing better. So, like, yeah, total, total Kyle Whittingham coaching job. Um, it's just that last week was the best Washington's looked all year. Do you guys think, I think that was the best, that was the best, that was the most impressive win of the whole season for them. I, I agree. And I think with uh, Hunter Bryant being back, that adds a whole nother level uh, to their passing game too. It's that safety valve. The big tight end is huge for Jake Browning to have because Browning isn't great, but if you give him a, a big target like that, who has speed, he becomes that much more dangerous. I, I I think Hunter Bryant being back is a huge advantage in that one. Over under 44 and a half. I'm going to take the over. Yeah, 44 and a half. I'm thinking a game in the mid-20s. I'm going to take that five points from Utah as well. I don't feel great about it, but I think I think Washington wins by like a field goal. I, I think Washington wins. I think they just have too much talent um, to – I think their talent will beat – it's because it's not like Chris Peterson's a bad coach. He's a great coach too, you know. So I think I think that's going to just be the edge is that slight upgrade in talent. And uh, I think Huskies win, but it's a close one. So I will take Utah to cover those five points. Thinking of – yeah, I, I think Utah covers – this is going to be a defensive game, which is something you don't see too much in the Pac-12. Utah and Washington are the two best defenses in the Pac-12, allowing 311 and 315 yards per game. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a close game. You know, I think yeah. it's, it will be. What was the over 44 and a half? Yeah, I think it'll, it will be over that. I mean, both teams. Yeah, looking at these their conference standings again, one and two in points per game. Washington allowing 16. Utah allowing 19. Uh, it'll be low scoring. It will be slightly – I think it'll be like 47 will probably be the total. And I think, yeah, yeah, Washington's going to win, but Utah's, Utah's going to cover. It's going to be a close one. Um, I will also put a disclaimer out there. I, I didn't I, – I did very bad in my sports picks. This, this last weekend was I went to Laughlin, Nevada. Uh, my girlfriend's yeah. grandma lives out there, and I said – you know what? I haven't bet a ton on sports this year, but I've been following college football really closely. I'm going to make some picks this weekend. And I went, um, I think I went like two and seven in my picks. So, so don't, don't listen to what I have to say is what I'm saying. Our our picks last week, Rios called me on yesterday morning just to say our picks were awful last week. So please do not heed our (laughs) advice from, if you want to, Put money on the line yes. for these games, but uh, it, it's just our very unprofessional gambling opinion on what we think. Uh, please don't tell me you guys picked Oregon State to cover. We all we all did. Oh my god! We all see you're corrupting their Dude, brains. Well, see, just okay. Let me just don't listen to our picks because last week we did, and I took all our picks to Nevada and bet on them and lost money. Awesome! Awesome! That's why uh, the casinos. Yes, that's yep. That's why the lights shine bright even in Laughlin. Um, our other our other game of the weekend Saturday, the big game. Um, pretty much meaningless uh, in terms of like conference implications, but both teams looking to get to eight wins. Stanford, Cal, uh, in Berkeley. Stanford two and a half point favorites. I'm gonna go Cal. You know, that's they've been a fun team this season. With uh, Justin Wilcox really starting to right the ship there, trending in the right direction. They've won uh, four of their last five. And uh, I 
I think, you know what? Yeah, it's at home. I think the Cal fan base is going to have something to cheer for. It's going to be a noon kick, so it's going to be it's going to be over early. Um, Stanford barely eked out a win against UCLA last week. Uh, it should be a good big game. You know, this is and it'll be the first time Cal if Cal wins, it'll be the first time they finish above them uh, since the Pac-12 became the Pac-12 and split into two conference uh, divisions. Uh, I'll, I'll take the beeves or uh, sorry, the bears. Don't take the beeves. You're brainwashing me. <laughs> Even when they're not playing, don't take the beeves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like Cal. I think Justin Wilcox, one of the best coaches in the conference. I think what they've been able to do this year has been amazing. Uh, they don't have a lot of talent, but they win and they win on the defensive side of the ball. This game's going to be low. Scoring, yeah. I'm also but, going uh, with Cal, Cal on this one. I, I, I think that this game means more to them. I think Wilcox wants to put a cherry on top of his season. Um, yeah. The over under is at forty eight. I will take I will take the under on that, and I will take I'll take Cal to cover that two and a half point uh, mm. spread. You know that Stanford's getting two and a half points on the road. Uh, the Cardinal the Cardinal disappointed me this year, and I, I think that their their defense wasn't as good as we expected uh, early in the year after they beat Oregon. It was like okay, like here we go. Stanford's legit. Stanford's going to be the the conference team that makes it to the college football playoff. Then they get absolutely smacked by Notre Dame. So give me Cal and Wilcox in this one. I'd love to see them end their season uh, with an eighth win. All right. Okay, that's it. Bet against right. us because we all pick <laughs> the same teams. Go, yeah. Bet on you. Uh, bet on Washington and Stanford. Uh, any final thoughts on the uh, Pac-12 weekend that was or will be, Dusty? Yeah, the Pac-12 sucks, man. I mean, it's a it, the conference right now. It doesn't it. Isn't it deflating to feel like there's nothing on the line for the Pac-12? Like there's more on the line for the American Athletic Conference in their title game than the Pac-12 this this week because of the fact that UCF can at least go perfect uh, on the year. And that's kind of deflating. But if you look at the future, how many of these teams are young and have a bunch of people returning? SC, Oregon, Washington, Washington State, they all got people returning. So I think the future's bright, but it's kind of deflating year and end of the year for the conference. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree when you say deflating end of the year. I, I Throughout the year, I've been beating the drum that I, I think that a lot of these Pac-12 schools have been underrated or kind of disrespected. Like I would take Arizona State over yep. a lot of teams that were ranked higher than them, especially like from the Big Ten. I think Arizona State, uh, had a, you know, I really was impressed with their year. They didn't lose any game by more than seven points. I thought they were kind of disrespected this year. And, and same with Utah. Utah, I would take over a ton of teams, even in the SEC. but. That being said, there no no team rose to the top and no team won when they needed to to get the Pac-12 into that next level and to perform on the national stage. And so when as, as the seconds ticked down and Gardner Minshew was, you know, tearing up on the field and what was on you know a sad but cool moment, you know, to see see that 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 you know the humanity of sports there. Um, that was just I was like, well, shit, you know, this we we're, this the year's over and we got we got nothing to look forward to, like you said, like UCF has more to play for than a Pac-12 team. So I, yeah, the uh, deflation at the end of the season is is a good word. I I think you know the winner of the Pac-12 championship game will will go to the Rose Bowl. So there's you know we have that that. Just, but then I guess the biggest question for me is: Will will a second team get a New Year's Six? I, or, or, or one of the big or one? Don't you go to Fiesta Bowl? Maybe right? Two losses, man. That's nothing no, to shake a yeah, stick two at. Two losses, one to a rival, and one by three no. points. Uh, I agree. I just 
I don't I don't want to bet on it. I don't have faith in it because of the way the Pac-12, you know, is kind of looked at nationally. But I really think they deserve it, and I'd like to see it. Yeah, but then it's just a question of, so would it be the Cougs over the loser of the Pac-12 championship game? Like, if, if Utah wins, they go to the Rose Bowl, would it be the Huskies or the Cougs that go to... I think it's the Cougs. I think it's the Cougs just because of two losses, and that's easier to justify. And then you send Washington to the Alamo. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And then yeah, one one note that I want to touch on uh, kind of came out late last night. I texted it to you, Croft. Another 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 thing I called my shot on around uh, was that week six. Khalil Tate might transfer. Rumors are he's going to transfer from Arizona. Nope. That's a great call in week six when things were when things were going bad for him, man. Then they kind of turned it around. You're like, okay, maybe he's going to stick around. That that'd be terrible for uh, Kevin Sumlin because oh, he doesn't mean, have anybody it, sitting Rodriguez? behind to, to take the helm. No, Brooke, Dusty. I just want to. Yeah, we can end the pod by yeah, just. Bro. I'll give you a pat on the back, Brooks. Uh, you called at the at, before week one for our preview podcast. You said Mike McIntyre is, is going to be on the hot seat this season. And then I laughed and then guess what? He's gone. And Colorado had one of those epic collapses uh, in recent years. Then you said, you know, I think around week four or five, you said, I'm all in on Utah. Bye, bye, bye. They're there. You are they're packing gonna the heat. End, they're going to turn things up. You're right on that. And then week six, you said, I think Khalil Tate's going to transfer by the end of the year. And then you called it. So like, good for you, dude. That was great. Don't take his bets, but take his <laughs> advice on hot seats. I, I will retire from podcasting now because I just got all of that props from Crawford. So, uh, wow, I'm, I'm tearing up over here. But no, it's uh, well, Cougs need a quarterback. <laughs> you just got to wonder where is he going to stay in the Pac-12? Does he want to stay? Like, does he just go full fu to Kevin uh, Sumlin and that, uh, go to like Arizona State or something like that? Like, how awesome would that be? <laughs> Cougs need a quarterback. He wants to pass. Dude. He doesn't want to have to run anymore, so hey. Uh, that would be awesome to see him and Mike Leach together. Okay, well, that wraps it up. Remember to not pick what we picked. Um, if you're heading to the sports book or texting your bookie this weekend, we've been pretty bad all year. But, um, Dusty, thanks for joining us, man. appreciate you making some time after doing your early morning show on The Fan. No, thank you guys. really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, back-to-back. Back. Dusty, where where can uh, – if, if our fans decide that they want to listen to you talk more on the radio, what's, where can they find you? 1080 The Fan if you're in Portland or Southwest Washington or 1080thefan.com and the radio.com app is where our show's at. And, and what's your Twitter at? Are you just at Dusty Hera? At Dusty underscore Hera on the Twitter box. Sweet. We always say yeah, yeah. give Dusty a follow. What, Brooks? I was going to say give Dusty a follow. He's, he's got great PNW uh, takes and insight and just good sports stuff. So he's uh, – I've, I've I've known Dusty for about three years now, and it's been he's been he's been a good good dude to know, and I, I respect and appreciate him his takes. Guys, I love the podcast. Thank you for having me on, and uh, you guys don't need to say nice things about me, so it's, it's okay. All right, um, I'm Next time I'm down in SoCal, I want to go and uh, sit on your brand new couch, Brooks. Oh yeah, great. I'll send you guys photos when it when it finally arrives. Yeah, send us some masculine some of the photos of that masculine vibe there in your bachelor pad. Uh, for Dusty Hera for Brooks Clark. This is Alex Crawford, and you've been packing heat. <laughs>